joined with Ryan Foss Shiftsvik. Um, he is an entrepreneur with a background in finance and M&A investment banking. It was through dealing art early in his career that he developed an enthusiasm for alternative investments. Following his years in finance, Ryan became co-founder and chief operating officer of a real estate technology company, Wallplay, in 2018. Ryan founded Shift Ventures with the goal of working with entrepreneurs at the earliest stage of their business, businesses in an effort to promote sustainable growth in operating infrastructure. His life's purpose is to help others, which he carries into everything he does. He is an active philanthropist currently sitting on the board of the Betty Fleiss Foundation, which supports STEM education and aviation scholarships. Ryan enjoys spending his free time with his family and their dogs in Westport, Connecticut, while watching English Premier League soccer every single weekend. Ryan, how are you doing today? Hey, Bobby, I'm great. Thanks for the uh, extended intro. Um, it's quite the list. How are you? Good. You've had your your life sort of right now. You've got hands in all sorts of fires, which is super interesting. And as a creative and entrepreneur, I feel the same way at different points of life. Like sometimes hmm. you've got a million balls juggling in the air and you're like, I'm just going to try to keep all of them going and see which one lands. But honestly, like you've got them all going and they all seem to be super successful right at the moment. So, <laughs> and I'm sure it's going to carry through um, for a while. So what's been new in your world lately? Um, you know, many things. I think, um, you know, certainly COVID has, has changed the world we live in. And so I think I've, I've tried to, like many, to make the most of, of an uncomfortable and, and uh, bit of a difficult time. Um, and, you know, I think when, when some doors close, others doors open. And so it's been a time where I've actually been out of New York City and getting to spend some time with family and and be a brother and a son, uh, which is which has been a great opportunity to to spend with family that we wouldn't otherwise have had. Uh, and then it's also been an opportunity to start new businesses. So I feel like you know um, staying busy has really kept me uh, moving and shaking during this time. And um, I certainly don't do any of the things I'm doing alone. So it's, it's been great to, to be able to work from home and collaborate with so many people who are enthusiastic about um, building new things. And that is so key. What's been one of the biggest um, parts of collaborating with others? Like, have you seen the growth exponentially grow over this time period that if you were doing these new ventures on your own, it wouldn't have seen the same? trajectory of where you're at today? Well, I think, um, I think that many people have been looking for new opportunities the same way that, you know, I've been thinking about starting new, new businesses over the last, you know, six months and um, across the board, whether, you know, they're interns I work with to advisors to venture partners to operating partners to to partners in other businesses i think there's a genuine enthusiasm for um 
building new things and, and new opportunities, uh, given that a lot of uh, life was interrupted. And now that people are home, you know, most people have a, a little more time on their hands. Maybe they're not commuting. Maybe they're, they're um, you know, they've got extra time and, and they're looking to, to jump into something. Or, you know, for many of my analysts, for example, you know, opportunities they had for other work or other internships um, fell through. So they have a genuine enthusiasm to, to jump into something that's growing. And, and I think, um, I think it's, um, you know, I really commend the human spirit during this time to sort of like push through and like find ways to create new things in uncertain times. And that's been exciting. So I think it sort of lends itself to, you know, working with good humans or making the best of, of, you know, an, an uncomfortable year. And that is so key of, you know, you got to be resilient and you can't let one setback to sort of hinder your growth and keep you in this hole of negativity of saying, you know, this is the end 2020, it's been awful, but you flipped the script, you've turned it around. Now with Shift Ventures, you guys actually have um, a mental health company that you're working with during yeah. this time. Super, super excited about um, these two women who have founded um, Mental Health Global Network, which is a, uh, you know, B2B SaaS platform that facilitates a corporate compliance training tool on mental health intervention and peer-to-peer -peer support. So uh, much like um, we have, a, you know, sexual harassment training or drug and alcohol training in our universities and, and companies, um, they've developed a mental health platform to, to train employees and, and university students on peer-to-peer -peer support. And so, you know, mental health was a crisis before the pandemic and, and now more than ever, um, I think it's so important to, to really drive um, a conversation uh, in mental health you know, advocacy and, and certainly building businesses in the mental health space is something I'm passionate about. And, and I couldn't be more excited about what they're doing. And the mental health aspect is so key. It was, like you said, a problem pre-COVID. And it was one of those things that the world just didn't talk about. Like we knew it existed, but we just covered it up like, oh, it'll be okay. Like right, right. hold it in the background. Don't express your feelings and just, Let's keep doing life as normal. But now, since the pandemic has hit, it's come to fruition that, you know, we have to start talking about these things. Totally. And if we don't talk about it, it's going to even create a larger problem down the road. With the response of companies and so forth going out of the Mental Health Global Network, have you guys seen a good response? from companies willing to take this on or? Yeah, we, I mean, they've seen a lot of early traction, um, you know, and, and they were earlier in the year, they were doing in-person trainings and then they moved online to physical trainings on Zoom. Um, and then, you know, they were sort of inspired to build, a, you know, this, this sort of software platform so that they could reach more people, you know, at, at, a, at a much faster pace. And, and so there's been great interest, um, not only from universities across the country and, and companies across the country, 
um, both government agencies and institutions to um, you know, Ivy League to, to state universities. Um, but now we're signing people up for the beta of the, the, the software platform that'll launch in the spring. Um, and they've seen a lot of traction from uh, early stage investors excited about the mental health space. So they're currently raising uh, a round of funding and, and they're about halfway through it. And so um, I think that the impact they can have and, and the faster they can get out the market, the better. That's amazing. And I know for sure that's just one piece of the puzzle that you're working on. Uh, with Shift Ventures, like what is your role for these companies and what type of companies do you focus on working with? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think on our website, we, we say, you know, if a VC tells you you're too early, we want to work with you. And so I think, you know, what's been compelling about our value proposition is, is that um, we like to come in early as an operating partner, you know, offering outsourced CFO work or operating work or, you know, outsourced CMO uh, and, and marketing team structures uh, to invest those teams early on, you know, as human capital. Um, and, you know, we found that many founders become too top heavy too quickly, um, or they end up bringing on full management teams from day one or multiple co-founders from day one. And by the time they actually raise their first or second round of funding, they end up with less than 50% of their own company. So um, by investing human capital early on, we can create a uh, stronger foundation with sort of leveraged and experienced teams um, that really provides capital efficiency for them, uh, as well as uh, the confidence for early stage investors who are concerned with execution and, and oftentimes the team at an early stage. So I think for us, you know, we're investing anywhere from 100 to $200,000 of, of human capital uh, in a pre or pre pre-seed sort of round. We wanna be the first sort of institutional uh, partner early on and help fill in those operating gaps. And so we often also help sort of syndicate and, and help these companies raise their first round of funding. Um, so we work with a really diverse group of founders um, as well as, you know, underserved founders. And, and certainly I'm excited about um, being able to, to reach founders anywhere. So some of our founders are here local in New York, they're in Atlanta, they're in Miami, um, you know, or even Philadelphia. So um, I think even the pandemic, you know, and on an institutional sort of scale has allowed us to reach more entrepreneurs. Um, and I think the, the interesting investment thesis we're also looking at is, is not only will early stage companies have some operating gaps to fill, but I'm also working with, um, a performance coach who is a, a has a PhD in in counseling and is a is a psychologist and you know we're we're looking at uh, helping early stage founders build esteem confidence you know uh, traction through avoiding emotional decision making and looking at early stressors of starting a new company especially for first time founders um, so performance coaching has been uh, a really interesting category. Uh, and value proposition to our early stage founders. Yeah, I've never heard of a venture company offering performance coaching 
but if you think about it, like it's so key, you can. It's one of the big. It's one of the biggest risks uh, to try to to try to mitigate, not only as an investor but as as a founder. You know, I think that even myself as as a as a founder, um, and in my in my last business, I think it would have been really interesting to to see our progress uh, had we had sort of a a, a third party uh, in the room in our management team discussions and our board discussions. Uh, in our investor, um, you know, meetings and and I think, you know, if you can if you can get real clear on communication and and um, you know um, early on, I I think you really can set uh, an unbreakable foundation. And communication is key, not only in business but in relationships and okay. friendships. And if you don't have that. And if you're not comfortable communicating, then there's all sorts of breaking points that can happen and trickle okay. down. Well, I think that, and you know, and, and that's the human component. I think we're all human and we all respond to stress or, or situations in different ways. Some of us get loud, some of us get quiet. You know, some of us, um, I think, struggle to find our voice, um, whether you're an employee or you're an executive or a founder, I think, um, finding your voice in, in early stage companies um, is so important. And so being able to develop those skills in, in a clinical way, I think is a really um, compelling value proposition because um, there are so many breakdowns and, and certainly, you know, the, the culture of, you want to set the culture from day one. Um, and and um, so I, I'm, I'm super excited about um, building companies with, with that in mind. And you're sort of shifting the weight off of the founder's shoulders in an essence, coming in, helping offer, you know, the CMO, the CEO, the CFO roles and saying like, focus on founding the company and getting things right. I'll help bring in the team that I know that can support you and let's hit the ground running instead of this mode of startup life of like, I got to find the right CMO. And I've, I don't know exactly what right. I'm looking for, but I'm the right co-founder. You know, it's so overwhelming to, to, you know, I think most founders feel like they're, they're really giving up a piece of, of, of their dream. And, and so it's a very serious um, proposition for, you know, VCs to ask founders to find a co-founder or, you know, I think oftentimes, and again, what comes in with that performance and communication element is that, you know, the biggest risks is also, you know, early employees or, or co-founders walking away from the business in the first, you know, couple of years. And so I think, um, you know, we generally like to work with, with founders um, where we can also help them better understand the roles they need to hire for by working with experienced operating partners across the board in every category. So um, it's also an effort um, to really help them qualify and negotiate those hiring plans while also you know, increasing speed to market with whatever they're building. And then how long do you stay in sort of like this incubation period with a company? Like, are you starting out and then do you go for a few years or when they hit a certain growth point or? Good question. So we really focus on getting, um, you know, companies 
from zero to their pre-seed round of funding or from their pre-seed round of funding to their seed stage. So uh, typically, um, you know, when, when we jump into an idea or a company, whether it's pre-revenue, pre-product, you know, whether they have revenue, whether, whether they've raised money before, um, we, look into fill, we look to fill the gaps and our term sheets are, are typically on a 12 month basis. Um, but because each of our operating partners um, are also running sort of outside agencies that fill those positions, whether it's a CMO or our CFO, you know, we have a fractional CFO company where, um, you know, startups we work with, once they sort of, you know, let's say graduate that 12 month term sheet and um, our equity uh, position sort of is, is vested or, um, you know, they can continue to work with our CFO, uh, our fractional CFO team. They can continue to work with our performance coach. They can continue to work with our marketing team. They can continue to work um, with that operating partner or a handful of our advisors on a, on a you know, direct basis. And I think that's really where we lay the foundation to qualify those relationships from day one and you know, work with entrepreneurs where we have skin in the game and we're, we're really in it for the long haul with them. So it's super important um, for us to be able to really acknowledge that, you know, we're, we're partnering with them and we're not, you know, a typical agency sort of uh, just taking fees and, and running off. So I think being invested for the long term uh, has been really uh, important for our founders to feel, um, you know, strong in, in our relationship and, and having, having a venture, uh, capital firm on the cap table really early on gives other investors and, and future employees confidence. For sure that they can get that next round of funding that they need. And like you said, it's like both parties in it and it sort of offers accountability in a sense for the founders too. Like Totally. You know, I've got another company that's partnering with me and taking me under their wing and I have to get this done. Totally. Well, I think we want to sort of elevate that idea of accountability to, you know, whether it's allied control or just, you know, being, being what allows them to do what they do best, whatever sort of category that is. Um, and I think the other interesting value proposition proposition that we've seen is that when we get involved, um, you know, there are a handful of VCs that will ask young founders who may still be university students um, to drop out, but having us as an operating partner um, involved at an early stage has actually been able to, to allow founders to stay in school, um, knowing that as they build the vision for the company, there is a venture partner involved, um, you know, helping them operate and execute and has given them sort of the bandwidth to um, finish out their senior year, for example, or, or whatever the case may be. Um, so I think having a, a, a venture builder and an operating partner involved uh, for founders that are completing their degrees um, has also been really compelling. So, um, you know, one of the one of our portfolio companies, uh, Claris, um, you know the the CEO. He's a senior at Wharton, 
and um, getting involved is is something we could feel excited about. Uh, you know, supporting him while he's managing a full course load as well as building this company. So I think that's an example of of where we can add value early on, um, regardless of where you are in life as an entrepreneur. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's something we're excited about as well. And that's incredible because so many times, like people out there listening are like, you know, I had ideas in school, but you know, I never could really execute on them because, you know, I needed to continue in education right. or like I'm giving up so much stuff right now where you guys just offer so many things. And like you said, that value is key that I haven't seen in the VC world. And I read up on business and I have friends who have started startups. I even had a couple in the past. And, you know, that essence of having that support team is so key. Let's shift gears a little bit here from the venture capital side of what you do into, I've seen this line of creative work, like stem through your path of like, where you dealt um, art through art galleries. And now you have this honey house on TikTok where you're an executive producer at, and you guys just crossed the line of 1 million followers. So huge congrats on that. How does that sort of tie into play? Um, So I think, you know, it's, it's really, for me, my enthusiasm for trying new things. Um, and uh, the Honey House was, a, was an idea that was started by friends of mine, JT Barnett and Nick Dio. Um, JT Barnett is a former pro athlete and incredible marketer um, and brand builder. Um, Nick Dio uh, is, a, is a founder of a lifestyle brand and co-founder, and he's also... Um, a big, a big calls himself a dot connector, but he, you know, head of new business and and working on the talent team at at Vayner Media, and so you know we felt as adults um, that it uh, it would be a project where you know it wouldn't be your typical TikTok house of uh, a bunch of young people dancing or or creating dramatic uh, content, but we could put together. A house full of couples and create wholesome uh, wellness, fitness, family-friendly, uh, brand-driven content, um, and really differentiate ourselves in the space. So, um, you know, I was I got to be involved in some of the early ideation and and was just really keen on on supporting the Honey House team uh, and got involved as an executive producer in this second season and now the third that's upcoming. Um, and, uh, man, it's been, it's been a, a great, a great case study and learning experience. And it's been so fun to build that out as a media property. And so we've done it sort of season by season, um, where season one was 30 days, you know, in a house with a, with an, uh, uh, an initial cast. And then season two has been a new cast, um, and another 30 days, both in Los Angeles. And now, uh, we're looking at doing a new 30 day, uh, season three in Miami, um, from January 18th to March 4th. And then we're thinking about Austin in the spring. We're thinking about the Hamptons in the summer. 
Um, but, you know, we've turned down a handful of reality TV show offers. And I think it's been interesting uh, to work with, um, you know, brands on creating TikTok content and certainly build out our own sort of categories um, and figure out our, our niche from the challenges we do um, to, um, I think our, our biggest uh, sort of uh, theme has been our hopscotch videos, um, creating dances and, and looking at working with recording artists and record labels to also share their music through our TikToks and create visibility has been, um, you know, there've been a handful of interesting conversations. So it's, it's fun to work in a new space that's growing um, and figure out how to offer value to as many people as possible. And let's just highlight for a second for those who have never seen a Honey House TikTok video. <laughs> I, like this is well-produced content that people are watching that feels like it's happening, happening authentically, I guess is a great way to put it. it in my opinion, like sitting there scrolling and watching it, you're like, wow, I could watch this hopscotch dance video <laughs> on loop. You're just like in awe. You're yeah. like, how did four of them figure out how to do that? Like, you know, it had to take so much time and work and it looks so effortless. Yeah, well, that's, that's, I mean, that's really generous and, and kind of you. I think it's, it's also, you know, credit to um, Nick Dio and, and who's a, who's a big agency guy and, and has produced a lot of amazing content throughout his career, uh, as a professional in the space, working with, you know, huge brands and, and, you know, doing large campaigns and, and certainly, uh, JT, who's an amazing sort of brand builder and, and marketer himself. So understanding how to produce content and, and working with, um, you know, content creators who have agency experience really. Uh, lended itself to thinking, you know, really sort of uh, practically about how to build specific content series within the Honey House umbrella. Um, and then, you know, just working with good humans and, and bringing in people who are enthusiastic about trying new things and, and that are great to work with. And, you know, shout out to the Honey House team and, and um, for them for putting together an amazing cast and and um, really finding their groove in, in terms of that, that content. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's really cool to see the way that people engage, but, you know, also just now working on a lot of product placements and, you know, what, what, where the media property can go itself is sort of exponential. Um, and doing it with couples has also been fun because I think that, TikTok really responds well to wholesome content. Um, and there's a, there's a genuine uh, effort, not, not to have calculated authenticity, but to create fun content that, um, you know, really uh, can find its way into, into any environment um, and be digestible and be brandable and, and be healthy content. So I think, um, I think that's really, the, the lens that the team took in terms of, um, you know, differentiating ourselves on TikTok. And let's talk for a second, like 
the casting behind it in these different cities. So do these couples already live in the city and then they, you guys just have like a set no, I mean, house where <laughs> I mean, are you flying people in or like these people would be great on here. They look like they're fun. They have the content creation experience. What right. does that look like? I mean, so, so season one was started out with friends, you know, um, getting friends involved who, who, you know, build content, but you know, it was, it was sort of open-ended. Um, you know, we just wanted to, to, to find some people, um, that were hungry enough to, to take a chance on, um, the project and, you know, shout out to Nick and Aaron, uh, for driving across the country, uh, from New Jersey to LA. Um, and, you know, so people are coming in from, from, from everywhere. I think, you know, certainly if we do season three in Miami, um, everyone I think is going to be flying in. I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if we're going to cast any Miami locals, but I think now that we're at season three, we do have a couple benchmarks we're looking for, you know, we're looking for a diverse cast. We're looking for, you know, people who at least have a hundred thousand followers across their social channels. Um, and, um, you know, trying to have some level of benchmark, but it's also, you know, we've talked to former and current pro athletes or, or other types of, I think, um, individuals, but it's more about like, do you already create content? Like is, is content creation something you're doing full time and you're passionate about and, and really finding content creators rather than um, maybe influencers who have influence for other reasons. Um, so I think that's, that's been, um, a conversation we've had, you know, just in the last week even. Um, so I think that's, that's something we're looking at, but when we go to a new, a new season, we look for a new house, you know, uh, we've been lucky to work with, um, some individuals who are, you know, open to, to hosting us. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, season one was, uh, an Airbnb, you know, and, um, you know, ne negotiating with the owner and, and, you know, trying to find the right place. Um, so it's, it's, it's been an interesting progression for sure. And it's interesting that you mentioned content creators versus influencers because there is a huge difference in that in an aspect you know because you can just be an influencer for xyz reason in specific categories whether it's fashion or a lifestyle or right. sports but having that aspect of content creation where you know what's going to succeed on a platform and what is authentic to a platform. Or, or if you already know what's authentic to you and, and you are, you've already been communicating and creating content for your followers. So I think, I think you know, sports is probably a good example where, you know, <clears throat> um, rather than, you know, um, fashion or, or anything else, because I think generally, whether you're modeling or you're in the fashion space, it's, it's, um, you are a content creator, but um, I think sports is an interesting category to look at where it's like, um, you know, not, not every pro athlete that becomes an influencer becomes an influencer because they're creating content, but because they're good at what they do. So um, I think that's also interesting to, to look at. 
Um, so there's totally a difference between, um, you know, I think being an influencer and, and being a content creator. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a conversation we're having. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I can tell because it's this space and being in the marketing world, you want to, when you do those brand product placements, you want something that looks natural in a photo, whether it's like I have a cup of coffee that says Starbucks on the outside of the cup, or, you know, if I've got a huge banner in the background of me that just is like, Bobby, you've never placed any of those vinyl signs in any of your coffee shows before. Right. Well, I think it's, we don't mind so much, I think, the, the product placement of, like, influencing, but I think it's, it's more, um, like, are you putting yourself in front of a camera every day, you know? Um, so there, there are certainly people across the board who are great influencers creating amazing content, but, um, yeah, it's, um, it's fun. So I think, I think we're also open to, to anything. Um, we're, we're sort of, as much as we try to be practical, we're still happy-go-lucky, you know, creatives who who want to work with um, with people who have a great attitude and and share our enthusiasm. And that is such a building block aspect of it because when you get a bunch of creatives in the room, ideas just start flowing. That oh. you know you wouldn't have thought of, I wouldn't have thought of, but you bring somebody else in, and then you just build off of it. And that enthusiasm just grows. And if you've got the cameras out every day and you're creating something, you never know what's going to come out of it. Totally. So I think as, as much as, um, you know, the content looks sort of really um, specific, I think, you know, there's a lot of brainstorming that the team does um, that, you know, totally lends itself to, to needing that creative juice um, from everyone. And that is also a note to say, you know, platforms change and platforms mm -hmm. grow. And we've all seen the evolution from, you know, what Facebook used to be and what it is today and what Instagram used to be and where it's at now. And everybody thought TikTok and Musical.ly were like mm -hmm. one of these things that, oh, it's only for kids. It's only lip syncing videos. Right. And now we're at this new level of content creation on it totally. where it's incredible. And the space is just going to continue to grow. Totally. Yeah, I think, um, I think the space is going to continue to grow. I think, um, you know, video content um, is so, so important just because people really can develop a relationship uh, with you face-to-face -face that the brain doesn't necessarily yet differentiate between, you know, video and, and, and face sort of connecting versus like face-to-face -face connecting. So I think there's still a really unique way to build relationships there. Um, just as much as like new audio platforms, like how we met on Clubhouse are becoming an interesting like audio driven way to build relationships. Um, so I think the, the stickiness behind TikTok and, and the stickiness behind Clubhouse are, are really interesting sort of case studies to look at for how, you know, social media is going to evolve and, and, and what platforms will, will come about and how they'll evolve. Well, let's talk about Clubhouse for a second, because there are a bunch of people out there who are like, 
Clubhouse. I have never heard of Clubhouse. Right. What is Clubhouse? Uh, I just saw on Twitter the other night where people were trying to sell their invites that they have. <laughs> so it's like this new skewed world of like, how do I get in on this app that's in beta who is slowly opening up wait lists? You want to dive into a little bit more of this audio platform and what you've seen on it for people who have never even heard of it before? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's it's an audio, you know, um, sort of chat room driven uh, platform where, um, you know, users can start clubs and start chat rooms that are specifically audio based only. And so I think the, the structure is quite simple where, you know, if you start a room, you're the moderator and you can invite people from the audience up onto this virtual stage to, to speak and answer questions and, and have a dialogue and, and um, you know, audio me audience members can raise their hand and be called up on stage or, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a really interesting tool to network and discuss ideas um, and I think because it's so new, there's a lot of enthusiasm for connecting with other people and, and, um, and networking early on. But it, you know, it, it started by two guys who come from the venture capital community. Um, it's, it's really you know, backed by Andreessen Horowitz. And, and it's, um, it's interesting you know, how they sort of jumped into it as a big case study. And I think um, that's really what Clubhouse is. It's, it's this social experiment um, where, you know, I think it's Paul Rohan have been able to raise 10 million bucks at a hundred million post money valuation and, and catch the attention of a lot of the, the VC and the tech and, and the entrepreneurial and even the entertainment sort of community. And now you have a lot of celebrities um, on the app, you have a lot of artists on the app, um, a lot of big VCs and, and, and tech entrepreneurs, um, as well as I was in a room with Andrew Yang, uh, you know, a couple nights ago and got to pitch him on Mental Health Global Network because he's spent a lot of his campaign trail talking about mental health. And, you know, I think having him check out um, one of our companies and, and, um, you know, access to information and access to people um, is is so important. So um, I think um, that in itself has been like a unique experience um, to also watch um, watch friends become really strong moderators as well, and and learn uh, myself how to better moderate uh, discussions um, has been in, insightful. But I think. Um, you know, there were two things that really gave, I think, Clubhouse their tipping point in terms of, you know, jumping into such a large raise from day one and, and the valuation they got. And, and one was that for every one person that joins Clubhouse, they invite at least 10 people. And then two, um, you know, the amount of time people were spending in the app per session and then spending multiple sessions a day, uh, I think was also really compelling. So, um it's been a it's been a, a great experiment for me, and I'm definitely sp spending too much time on Clubhouse. But it's a it's a great uh, it's a great place to engage with with other people.
And it's interesting that you said like you were in a room on Clubhouse with Andrew Yang and able to pitch him. Now let's take this out. Well, I think pitch, 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 like, is a, pitch is a generous word. I mean, able to or like talk to, about to it. Get my you know fifteen seconds of saying what's up and you know right with his welcome room on Clubhouse. So when people join Clubhouse, anyone can have a, a welcome room and people jump in and talk to them about the platform. And so um, it was funny because my my original suggestion was actually on like moderating uh, that welcome room. Okay. Better. Uh, where it was like getting out of hand and people were just chiming in and um, a lot of strong moderation has come from like allowing people up on stage and then prioritizing them from the top down and, and giving people sort of their their peace for you know 30 seconds or a minute so um, but <laughs> because I think that was it, it became too difficult but I also think that uh, it was an example of like Andrew Yang also spending more time than he thought he would on Clubhouse, even in his first session. So I thought that, that was interesting um, in terms of, you know, our, our desire to, to be helpful and, and answer questions. And, and even connects with people. Yeah. You know, in a general way of saying it, like we've lost a lot of connection. Like we've been totally. able to connect with people on zoom but this remote life of you know you might be in an apartment by yourself but not with family and not having right. that day-to-day -day interaction besides maybe a quick zoom check-in with a colleague right. like you crave this connection and it's interesting that clubhouse came out at this time where the world sort of wanted connection and yeah. wanted this aspect of like I can put Andrew Yang in a room with Ryan and so many other things where if you wanted to have this meeting in real life, it would probably be super difficult yeah, yeah. to get on like I don't, I don't Andrew Yang calendar. I don't think there's ever going to be a time where, where Andrew Yang and I are, are in the same room, but I, I don't, I don't, I can't say that for sure. But I think it's, it is interesting about, you know, interpersonal connection is, is such a, diminishing, you know, sort of assets or, or, or just, you know, even the opportunity for interpersonal connection now is, is so diminished, um, you know, uh, appropriately. So given, given, you know, the effort to be safe, but I think it's, it's interesting on, on, on clubhouse because I've, I've been able to now have so many new interpersonal you know, relationships develop, whether it's you and I or other people on Clubhouse that I've, I've had like four or five Zoom meetings um, with people from Clubhouse, whether they're entrepreneurs uh, pitching me or, or VCs I'm, I'm pitching on collaborating with, um, or just, just people who want to talk about mental health. Um, you know, so it's, it's been awesome to, to have a platform to, to have access to, you know, relationship building during, during this time. So it was, couldn't have been <laughs> better timing for Clubhouse. Oh, definitely. And it's a way for like everybody to meet a new subsect of people that probably wouldn't have happened on LinkedIn unless you were right. doing like super specific searches or even in the internet realm of like, how in the world am I going to find this person? Well, I think, I think it's me? when you, yeah, I like that 
sort of last tangent about like finding someone, it's like, I think um, there's a bit of trust on Clubhouse that it's like, oh, this is a real person. I'm talking to them now. I can totally make the connection uh, and reach out. So it, it doesn't feel as cold of an outreach when you do, re you know, DM someone. Um, I'm curious how, you know, how many people are you reaching out to, to do interviews and, and are you finding that Clubhouse is a great platform for that? So actually we, uh, I'm going to say this, we met on Instagram. So I'm still on the wait list for Clubhouse oh, that, and waiting, right. waiting that invite. Um, but I'm super excited to check it out and see all the different things that come from it. And just from a networking standpoint in general, since I started the show into September, I mean, people want that connection and they totally. want to connect with somebody and to have the opportunity to share their story and given the space to do that, where we can all connect and learn something and add value to each other. It's been one where like, I've had numerous people ask like, oh, can I be on? Or what's your story? Mm -hmm. And like sift through it to right. find out, like I would have never thought into September to where I'm at today here at the end of December where I'm already booking out January and February. Yeah, you're, you're booked up. Yeah, yeah, and which is incredible when you think about it. Like I had thought of this idea a couple of years ago, not to do it on Zoom, but it was like to do, I loved going to coffee shops and meeting people. Mm. And, but it was always like, oh, I want to hear somebody's story. I wonder if I could like take video of the conversation, but then people get scared of video, or at least they did at the time. It was like, oh, you're going to record a conversation. So then I would like transition it into like the people I met in a caption on Instagram. And then I would just sort of like let it go. I just continue to hear people's story and share as it happened. But now it's like completely evolved to a space of everybody wants that connection. Mm. And this is the new way to do it. Yeah, I think um, it's all evolving. And I think people are, are getting more and more, um, you know, I think uh, hungry for connections. So. That's been really cool to see. Definitely. And as we begin to wrap up here, Ryan, what's been one of the biggest blessings for you this year? Mm. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely got to be like spending time with family. I think, um, you know, it's, it's, I've been lucky to be able to be home and I, I, I left New York City early uh enough where i felt safe you know um returning back to my family but um my father's an entrepreneur and and uh he's lived in london the last 20 years and so um my parents are together but commuting to work and so um having him uh sort of back uh for almost five months at the beginning of the quarantine now he's had to travel and come back but uh, being able to spend like a, a really significant amount of time with him has been really um, just a blessing and, and getting to spend time with my siblings. Um, you know, I'm the oldest of five. So um, typically we're all over the place and, you know, being in one place uh, has really given us an opportunity to just 
be closer. So, you know, I think um, it's uh, that has to be by far and away the the biggest blessing in my life. Um, so I, I feel grateful to have a family. I feel grateful to to have the opportunity to be here and, and be safe with them. Um, you know, that that in itself is uh, is amazing. It's incredible coming from, you know, like being on the road 100% of the time totally. previously to spending almost an entire year with in Texas and here in Indiana with family. You, you know, there are trying times when you get everybody in the same house and in the same room. But overall, I can totally relate. Like, had this been a normal year, none of this would have ever happened. Yeah. Just, like spending time together and cooking together or hearing somebody's ideas or playing soccer in the backyard, you know, all sorts of things that we've had yeah. the chance to experience when it have been there. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and uh, certainly a lot of board games uh, and hanging out. So it's, it's been good to, to see the dogs. And, and I think it's just, you know, being able to do this has, has been great. So um, we otherwise wouldn't wouldn't have been able to to spend time together like this as a family for who knows you know maybe ever so right um, that that is really cool wonderful Ryan where can people find out more about you social networks handles website yeah I would love to connect with uh, any entrepreneurs um, we have an intake form on on our shift ventures.io uh, website um, and uh, you know you can find me on on LinkedIn uh, happy to connect as well as Instagram at Ryan G Foss um, I'd, I'd love to to you know find a way to be helpful to, to anyone and and everyone who who reaches out wonderful and I will also put the links in the show notes as well as Wherever you are watching this feed at, you can find all of Ryan's information and um, the website for Shift Ventures to connect even more. Ryan, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Bobby. It's been great. Uh, it's a great day to start. Uh, it's, a great, it's a great opportunity just to start the day and, and to chat with you and participate. You know, So thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for everybody who's watching. I hope you have an incredible day today. Just enjoy it to the fullest. And I encourage you to do something new today. So this has been okay. today's episode of Coffee with Bobby with Ryan. Take care. <laughs>